Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. Just to add context for all of these episodes, yes. can we just say that we're shooting a lot of episodes at once because we are going to be out of the country in the future. So if anything happens between now and in the future- And they're like, they didn't address that. Yeah. They didn't address that. It's because we're not here. You don't know where we are in the timeline. <laughs> exactly. Nobody knows where we are. So welcome to 2021. We're our guest this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are doing a new format though because we're hanging out with our cool guest for the whole app. Yeah, which I like. Yeah. I like when we can hang out with you and also get to the news, get to Buds of the Week, do all the things. Do the whole shebang. Yeah. All so, in one. Well, before we introduce our fabulous guest, uh, okay. how's it going, Mark? Mike? Oh. Whoa. Oh. She fucked it up already. And <laughs> take two. Producer Mark, please take the seat. <laughs> I have been replaced quite quickly. <laughs> how's it going, Mike? Uh, what up, Mary Jane? Good, good, good. Great, Welcome great. to Weed and Grub, everyone. This is a podcast about comedy, cannabis, culture, cooking, calling shit out, and replacing me with Mark. Two Marks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, great theater. And great theater. Uh, we have Mark Sitko with us, a favorite friend from, uh, I've known you for like, I feel like a decade At now? least a decade, yeah. Yeah. Back to New York. Yeah, it's incredible. Hi, uh, Mark. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love the show. Yeah, so stoked. <clears throat> uh, we met doing theater in Brooklyn. Yes. And now you are doing theater in Los Angeles. Trying, yes. I'm trying to bring theater of that ilk to Los Angeles. That's my goal, is yeah. trying to make work that is... How, I would love to have this discussion with you. Yeah. How do you describe downtown theater? So like, what is the difference between downtown theater and the theater in LA? I mean, I would say that downtown theater in New York for me was just where it was at because it was experimental. It was fucking dangerous. It was interesting. A lot of the time it sucked. But when it was good, it was so vital. It was like, it would sear your eyeballs out. Like when we saw um, Sarah Kane's... Uh, Blasted yes. at the Soho Rep. Totally. That play kind of changed my life. What is Sarah Kane's Blasted? So Sarah Kane is a playwright who um, famously like blazed out. I think she died before she was 30. Yeah, she committed suicide, unfortunately. She's a playwright out of um, England. Yeah, and she wrote, I, I think, only three or four plays. Totally, but they're epic and incredible work. And Blasted is famously a play that's almost impossible to produce because it's so fucked up. Like, it's beyond fucked up. The most fucked up shit that you can think of, she puts right in front of you. Like, there's it's, a baby that gets eaten on stage. Yeah, it it's, opens in the first act, and you have a man who's, like, sexually manipulating a somewhat mentally handicapped girl. And they're in a hotel room. He's older. And he's kind of, like, yeah, coercing her into sex. Uh, yeah. And yeah. then through that act, all of a sudden, it's in Leeds in England. A bomb hits, and the rest of the play, London is at war, and England is at war, and you just watch what would happen if it happened here, basically. Like, what if wow. we got bombed? And then you just watch this man who is despicable. Mm -hmm. Reed Bernie, shout out. torn to pieces, basically, by everything. But yes, yeah. he, uh, Reed Bernie was an incredible performance. And um, Marin Ireland yes, played, played the, the lead female. Oh, my God. And when you know, you're in the theater, all of a sudden it goes dark and the whole theater rumbles and then the lights come up and they had actually blown the theater apart. Like that was the blast. They actually moved the entire set back in the dark. So it went from this hotel room to a true bomb blast. Mm. And they just pulled the floor out and let all the furniture fall onto the stage. Wow. So it just it, had 
like this mess. You yeah. Know? And then it's it's an incredible like play. that's an intense. And Sarah Benson, shout out as well, directed it. Is that's an incredible right. director. She's the artistic director of Soho Rep. And for my money, one of the best directors we have in the country. Is yeah. this 80s, 90s, 2000s? She wrote it in the 90s, I believe, and it had never been done in the US, but we did, uh, Soho Rep did it in like the mid 2000s, late 2000s. And you were with the Soho Rep at the time. Yeah, I was the technical director, but that's not, I did not do the TD work on that show. I, I cleaned a lot of blood out of carpet. Like that was my main <laughs> job. It just did laundry. Like I was mainly a facilities manager. So they brought in people that were far more, you know, capable to do that, to pull all that off. But I was working for Soho Rep when that happened. Yes. So I guess that's where my mind goes mm. when someone says like, what about downtown theater? I think of Blasted. I think of the work that you were doing when mm -hmm. we met, you know, mm -hmm. um, Rocky Philly and the show that we did together. Um, Going to see a movie called Gunga Din. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> my like, work yeah. specifically. So trying to define downtown theater, it's really just for me pushing past the linear dramatic narrative, like something that is not just focused on drama maybe and so my work I would take I would interview people telling personal stories for the play that we did with uh, Mary Jane I interviewed people that had been in war Americans who had fought in a war not just like had been in the military but actually had seen action I interviewed a dozen people and then I took their stories and cut them against real our Hollywood real our Hollywood versions of these movies so I watched every American war movie I took my favorite scenes I Frankensteined my own version of the movie together just taking scenes from all these movies because they're all the same story right like boot camp into the going the war coming back the PTSD like that cycle of the soldier I just kind of repieced that together with like scenes from Deer Hunter Apocalypse Now you know like all these famous scenes and then Mary Jane played like my general my like Patton and so she did all the like all the big speeches and played like you know in the like a uh, I love the smell of napalm in the morning and like yeah. all of those characters and but told these real veteran stories while enacting these scenes physically so you'd like watch a scene physically that you recognize but you're hearing stories so I, I'd strip out the Whoa, real di the dialogue man. and put this other it was a it was Whoa. a fucking trip because where's that joint there's, Whoa. Yeah, there's, there's nothing that can train you for that I have to say it was one of the coolest and weirdest and most difficult things that I've ever done as an actor because. Mark was mapping these stories onto these physical narratives. So it was sort of like doing any of the like really intense physical theater training, but then also doing these like very, so you're like, you have to learn one physicality and then say something else completely different. So it's a total like pat your head and rub your tummy situation as, as a performer. And then you're also trying to sort of like, bring to life this like very classic iconic film moment it was mm -hmm. so intense and do justice to these real war veterans as well yeah right? so there's a bit of weight can i ask you a very actorly question because yes. we have a great actor and a great would you prefer if i say actor director artist director i like directors director. I'm, okay. I'm best at that i produce and i write and other things as well but i'm and champion weed smoker also and, let's yeah, just call that out oh fuck <laughs> yeah dude the perfect guest yeah okay artist weed no smoker wonder you said his name instead of mine yeah <laughs> how's it going mark <laughs> um, when you're learning physicality that is very different from the words, but you're also having to figure out the motivation for both, mm. do, you, do you start process for you from a physical place and then a costume place? And then once you get the look and the feel together, the words come easy or do you have to start from an analytical place and start memorizing? Uh, so this was really learning the physical before anything else. Um, and, you know, it was a total, it's from the outside. And so I think a lot of like American theater and method actor uh, folks really think about motivation and that sort of stuff. And, you know, how am I feeling in this moment? And I have to live the experience in order to be able to sort of like present it on stage. And this 
this is totally fucking different. It doesn't matter how you feel or what your motivation is. Truly, you, it, here are things that you have to do and you just have to do them really well. So I really loved it as an exercise. And like when I got out of theater school for the first time ever, I worked with a Russian director who would literally position my body. He'd come up and he'd like put like a doll. He would be like put my hand here and he would, you know, have me point at something and he'd be like, now speak. And I was like, what? is this this is so weird but he actually got me to do different things as an actor through manipulating my physicality that i'd never done and another um director javier antonio gonzalez do you know mm -hmm. javier yes i'd never worked with javier but i know him by reputation another director that i worked with who got me to do stuff by really like focusing on my physicality and then having me go from there so it was really exciting to work with mark on this because it was truly like a whole new level of um, theater athletics in a way that I don't think I was very good at actually and we were working on the show with some people who were incredibly good at it um, Danny who is yeah, I Danny Kruger Danny may be in Moni's Clark he's, oh my god he's possibly going to be in Moni's Clark which we is the see. show that you're doing that we'll get to yes yes exactly and Sam who yeah was, Sam West one of my best friends who's just like they were so incredibly good at it that it was actually really intimidating because they were both so physically incredibly specific and also in incredible physical shape like they could drop and give you 20 like real military <laughs> folks and I was like I I'm just me, you know, but uh, it was it was a great time. You're like doing like... a plank for 10 seconds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I had I think I had the um, the sort of like big energy, maybe. And yeah, that's just what power. I like yeah. I always thought of you as just a powerhouse as an actress, because yes. I, I was a fan of Mary Jane's before I knew her. I would see her in things and. I just needed someone that could play Patton. She did the last scene of, you know, um, uh, Apocalypse Now, Brando, like putting the water on his head when he goes in to kill Brando. Uh -huh. Like she did that scene. You know what I mean? It's so, like Whoa. to find an actor who can do that scene. It's yeah. I just think you were one of the few people I could think of that had any chance and you nailed it. You wow. killed it. Thank it you. Really good. Totally. I loved working with you. And then when I moved to LA, <laughs> Mark gave me a, a role in uh, map of virtue, which was the show that we did together in 2017. Which I have here oh, for you. Shit. This is signed by Aaron. Oh my God. This she is signed amazing. you a copy. The playwright Aaron. Is this copy? the one that KCRW covered? Yes. And, like, yes. Saved glowing Burns. reviews. Yes. Really loved. And so, yeah, yeah, this was an amazing play. It's by a woman named Erin Courtney, who's incredible. And this play is, a, it's like a circular play, again, like trying to get away from linear dramatic narrative. It's about some people, it's a circular format where some people have strange coincidences going on in their lives. And they are trying to explore these. It's a gay man and a straight woman. So it's not, it looks like a rom-com, but it's not exactly that. They just keep running into each other and keep seeing the same symbology. And then eventually they get kidnapped together. So the play, like Aww. you feel like it's this rom-com happening, like, oh, these people have this connection. And then all of a sudden they get kidnapped and you're just in this room with them. And you see that. And Mary Jane was one of the kidnappers. Yeah, it was great. I had a good time. <laughs> I had a good time on that one. And again, it was the power. It was a woman in the woods who had started a cult and was yep. literally kidnapping members. Super fucking weird. <laughs> My favorite. That's so fucking cool. Do you ask yourself questions like, why am I interested in these circular sign symbolism things? Like, do you know why you're drawn to those? Is it having to do with your own life? Like, No, that's interesting. That play is really just that it's an amazing play. I'm, I'm just looking for something. The way I would describe it is when I'm doing my own work, I'm exploring to figure out how theater works. When I'm doing other people's plays, I want something that works in a way I've never seen a play work. And it's so different than Hollywood, not to pick on L.A. I love entertainments. But like here, you're looking for formulas. You're looking for something like this thing slays and it works every time. I'll pick on Hollywood for a second. <laughs> sure, sure. If you won't. <laughs> I, my biggest problem with Hollywood right now um, is when you describe something like Blast. Blasted. Mm -hmm. Blasted. I think, oh, that would never become a movie because it would be too expensive. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't make sense. And people don't want to see it. And people don't want to see it. Yes. But if you can go to a theater yes. and have an entire set transform and become all these different things that to me 
is the one of it's not a problem with Hollywood, but it's why theater can be as important and as crucial as a Hollywood blockbuster. I agree completely. And bottom line, like we see with films, like everything, they're trying to sell it not only to America, they've got to sell it in China, which is yeah. more conservative to Shout us. Shout out Aquaman. They gotta, yeah, gotta get it to Europe. They have all these other, there's just money and sales is king. Yeah. And so anything that risks that, which all of these risky things would do, they're not going to do, which I understand. You don't think they like baby eating in China? <laughs> <laughs> Indonesia? It's all so the world? <laughs> I would argue. <laughs> it may be even more popular. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'll watch no, it. No. Oh, yeah, totally. But yeah, yeah. So I just, it's really just wanting to be, I guess it's the, that's a perfect way to say it is like theater allows us to take risks. You know, I'm, I have to raise 40 to $50,000 to do a play of mine, which is a lot of money, mm -hmm. but is like when I'm shooting a commercial, that's as much as like to fly the director to Europe, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's like nothing, you know, it, it's in LA, especially that money is very available. I need like a thousand people to come see my play. You know, I'm not looking to reach millions of people. I don't got to hit a 200 million box office or anything. And yeah. And so in LA, I'm trying to bring work that is a little more challenging to the audience. Yeah. Really, that's about it, you know, and risky. Um, Can we talk a little bit about Monique Clark, about mm -hmm. the play you're going to be doing this so you go into rehearsals probably we go right around when this August fifteenth. Okay. So this will, this, I don't know when we're airing this, but yep, we don't know where we are in the timeline. All right. So when this comes out, it could be before or after this, but August fifteenth we'll start rehearsal. Mm -hmm. We move into the theater early September. We'll open September fifteenth. We run for like three weekends. Um, it's at the Broadwater Theater, which Love is that place. it's so great. It's is that the, on Santa Monica? Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Ooh, you know that space? Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. They're great. Yeah, we're in the big main stage there. They have like four spaces. Go see the show. Yeah. <laughs> And so they're wonderful. That's Sacred Fools is the company that runs its space. Shout out to Sacred Fools. I have a lot of respect for that company. They've done some great stuff. They did a production of Mr. Burns a couple of years ago uh, by Ann Washburn that I think was one of the best things I've seen in LA. That is a weird, another like downtown New no, York No, totally. Hit that... So just got to take a little stop off. So like Mr. Burns is a oh. three act play. The first act, it's right after the like electric apocalypse. So there's no more electricity on earth and people are kind of in the woods hiding. And this group gathers and they're trying to remember a Simpsons episode. And they're just trying to like, oh, yeah, then that fucking joke and this. And they're like adding on and kind of riffing on this and kind of piecing it together as a group. And then it cuts like 25 years in the future or something. And now there's like these these ragtag theater companies that are like trying to put on versions of Simpsons episodes. And they like buy lines from people and stuff to do it. And then it jumps out like 75 years. And it's like mythology where you're like watching the people in yellow face with three finger gloves performing almost like an opera. That's like the story. And it now the story of Mr. Burns talks about the greed of Mr. Burns causing the end of our electric world. And it's like so brilliant, so just cool and a trip. And the kind of thing that I'm like, people think the avant-garde theater is so opaque, but I'm like, no, you could show that to anyone and they mm -hmm. will get it and they will love it. And it's personal and it's human. And yeah, it's amazing. I think that's the weird, th mm. the disconnect is that like people think of um, theater as being like, you know Broadway like when people go to New York they're like you know you got to go to Broadway and I think I, I saw maybe a handful of Broadway shows while I was there living I in New York out of more Broadway shows than I've seen right you're like Jesus what is this fucking dress but you know some of I mean great innovation can happen obviously like Lion King was super fucking exciting cool. when it came Hamilton out because of yeah things that have happened that are because important. of the amazing things that they do with like masks or you know music or whatever it is but the exciting like the reason that I want to go see theater is because of shows like Mr. Burns or you know even like on a bigger scale um 
the Jerry Springer of the Opera. Did you ever hear? Have I ever talked about that with you? Uh, please do it again if you have. <laughs> there was remember. a musical that was made, and it was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which mm. Mike is going to in a couple of weeks. And uh, it came out of the Edinburgh Fringe, and it was Jerry Springer, like the famous talk show host. And it was an opera, full on sung, and they had numbers like Three Nipple Cousin Fucker, and they went to hell in the end, and there was like a giant baby in a diaper on a swing. Like the whole thing was just so fantastic, and it played at the National Amazing. in London, where I went to see it, and I ran at intermission to see if I could get tickets for the next show because I wanted to see it again, mm. and it was sold out, and I only got to see it once. But it was just like Amazing. so thrilling when it's like what, theater can be weird in a way that yeah. you know TV and film can. Well, maybe this. Is- is to tie back into the show that you are either that's either coming up happening right now or just happened depending <laughs> on when this is released what what i'm really hearing as you describe each of these shows is the fucking leaps you can take act to act story point to story point you yes. can go to hell at the end of a jerry springer musical and however you want to make that hell look maybe that's where theater will be revitalized is in taking these epic fucking chances that allow people to go places they normally wouldn't be able to go through a streaming service through a podcast through a movie and you can fucking show these banana thoughts in real time and that would bring theater back to the masses in a way that maybe we're craving right now like that that kind of like absolutely you know i feel coming out of covid right people want you know, I'm sure you guys have been to live events, so you just feel it. Mike's on the, tour right yeah, now. Yeah, like the joy that is yeah. in a room of people enjoying something together, laughing together. It's it's what we need more than anything. I really do believe that. I have been major depression. I'm sure we all had a little bit of this, right, through mm-hmm. this COVID. But, like, no, man, that was the hardest part. The hardest was just being like, what, am I going to get in a fucking room again and feel something with a group of people ever again? Mm-hmm. And we really, there was a time where I, we didn't know it was the, honestly that scary and then now to have it, I'm, as you see, Mike, and you get to go out and do that, Edinburgh's the best. You're going to love it. I went there with my college uh, improv team. And so, like, so fun. Just, you know, awesome. we were horrible, but, you know, good <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah. But you are going to, like, love it there. I would love to talk a little about stand-up. So for me, like... I, I will, well, but wait. we got to keep plugging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Money's Clark. We'll talk yes. about stand-up after the news, and then we'll talk about sumo, and then we'll do Buzz of the Week, and we'll do all of that. But Wonderful. I'm sorry, we're here. No, no, no. no totally. <laughs> Moni's Clark. So Moni's Clark is written by Lachey Delaney. She's a wonderful playwright from New York. I would argue it's the best play I've ever read that isn't produced. So it's like best play anyone's ever handed me. And people hand me a lot of plays that I was like, wow, I, I want to do this. I asked her to do it. It's about a black family that has a missing daughter. So I feel as a white man, very just lucky that I'm able to help tell the story. Um, Lachey wrote the story. It's about a, two teenage girls, Mimi and Monice. Monice has gone missing. It's about a year after. They're in a small desert California town. You know, think like east of us a little bit. And the cops have kind of stopped looking. And there's an online group of sleuths that are like all trying to help them and like piece things together. You know, uh, yeah, very, as we all know from all of these shows, what happens? What was the big podcast with Anon? Was that his name? Um, uh, Serial. Yeah, serial. Yeah. So like that kind of style. We have all these people that are listening in trying to help. Mm-hmm. And then um, it just gets a little weird as the thing goes on. And Ooh. it's looking at our obsession with true crime stories and how it's different how the media and the cops go after someone who's missing who's black and someone who's missing who's white. Yeah. So like the way interesting. All of that is yeah valued that whole the gabby petito story really i think highlighted that when gabby petito last year went missing and you know everyone was sort of paying so much attention to it and her family actually came out even after you know the 
resolution was that she was unfortunately found dead, but her mm. family came out and said, okay, now use all of this energy that you have used to help us find our daughter and pay attention to all of these other cases, all of these young women of color who have gone missing. And totally. yeah, it was just crazy that the difference between, uh, you know, the, how much attention the media pays to a story that features a, a white girl. Totally. I mean, like you think of things like John Bene Ramsey and these things that mm-hmm. have just, you know what I mean? And even that's dark. Like, it's not like that was better. They're both can be very dark, either this hyper attention and then also the total neglect. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it looks at all these things, but in a very, the, the show is fun and not like, like funny, but it is, has humor mm-hmm. and it's dark and strange. Um, yeah, I think it's a great piece. I think it's a really wonderful play. So right now I'm in the middle of casting and we're kind of getting the team together. I have an amazing team of designers. Carlo, who designed our last set for MAP, is designing again. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where we are with the process. It's so exciting. But it's what, been great. What does that look like to find a play like that? Like, do you just have a cool bookshelf full of things? Like, did you find that play and then you contact the writer and then you were like, I have a vision for this, but can we change this? Like, what does the pre-production look like for a I'm constantly, all of my favorite writers I'm like following. And then I have like a network in New York of people that I ask like, who's hot? Who do you like? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what's interesting? Because I'm always looking for new voices, mainly because people that are already huge that I love, people like Anne Washburn is getting, they're already getting done at a much higher level. I'm trying to discover folks more. And I know writers that I believe in that maybe haven't written that piece yet that I'm just like constantly reading their next piece and being like, oh, it's going to all like snap soon. You're going to have that piece that is like, this is it. This is the mm-hmm. thing you've been meaning to, to say. I have a friend right now, David Myers, who I think has just written that play. Um, he's been writing plays for a while. I've been reading his stuff and he has a play right now that's all about um, land ownership and the power of that oh, and in wow. this country, how that works. And it's about him kind of a battle between a son and a father and like the leverage they place on each other because of what Fuck, they I own. I love how small all of these ones are that you're talking about. Like these are all like two-hander relationship based. No, no, with very like focused. Big, mm-hmm. big ideas being tackled. I love that you say big ideas. That I think is the most important thing, right? We want big ideas, more think- than big feelings. Everyone loves like feelings are, I think it was very cheap. You know what I mean? I was like, I can take a crib. I can take a kid. I can take a kid, malform him, have something bad happen to him, like Pixar style. And it's like, oh, you care right away. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like all the feelings in the world, like we can do that real easy. Like that doesn't take much. But to bring a new idea, to reach past the already known, as Mac Wellman would say, to like get into the strange and bring something back that's valuable for us at all. Yeah, is really hard to do. And that's what I'm looking for. And so, yeah, big ideas is, I think, the biggest thing. And you can do it with two people. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't need to be... Yeah, we I don't need all the spectacle. What Heidi Shrek did with her play, uh, What the Constitution Means to Me, which was just her and one guest artist. And she took that play, which was based on what the Constitution actually means to her as a, she was like a, a Constitution nerd in school. And she built this whole play around it that made it all the way to Broadway. And it was her on stage with, I think, one guest artist tonight. Yeah, she has Mike Iveson with it with her. And then she would bring on a kid. She would bring out one little girl. Yeah. And just have like a young girl who's also like a brilliant young girl to talk about the Constitution and debate with her about mm-hmm. things. Or we're going to go see Alison Leiby's uh, oh, a play about abortion this uh, week. Oh, well, well, which, well. Uh, I don't know it yet. I haven't seen it, it but I know it's like a big idea. Yes. You know, very no, excited. Fascinating. Excited about so, big yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the name of the play again? Uh, mine is Monice Clark by Lachey Delaney. Monice Clark. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the yeah, for this, so I have this network of folks that I'm reaching out to and trying to get plays. I knew Lachey personally. And so Lachey and I literally had coffee in Hollywood. And she was like, you know, I have a new play. I was like, can I read it? She sent it to me. And I was like immediately like, oh, I want to, can I do this? You know? And like I said, she was nice enough to say yes, mainly because of MAP. She had seen MAP. And so she was like, I want, yes, I want this level of work done on my play. Yeah. You know? And we're going to do that. Hell yes. And you're going to get great notices. And uh, 
you're going to get all of the uh, audience members, everyone who's listening to this podcast. If you're in Please LA, come. get your tickets now. Is it uh, on Eventbrite or where can where where the links? For <coughs> I will. The best place to look is just on our website, which is barkroomrep.org. But right. we also can follow us at, at barkroomrep on all of the main things. But mainly Instagram is probably where you'd see the most action. Um, and I think we're going to use brown paper tickets, but there's a couple different services. We have not set them up. Tickets will go on sale August 1st. So I don't know when this is happening, but August 1st, tickets <laughs> drop in December sale. 14th. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, any that's really the way you can support the most is just coming to see the show would be amazing. Hell yes. Can't wait. You want to get to the news? Let's get to the news. Let's get to the news. All oh, right. also shout out to Sumo Snacks. Oh, yeah. Look at these big ass bags. All right. We have to try a flavor because they sent over so many. So we've got Salsa Verde, Fiery Hot, or Classic Cheese. Which one am I going to pop open? Because these Salsa are... Verde is in your hand. Okay. Wait, is that a 100 milli bag? Yeah, yeah. So these are the new bags of Sumo Snacks. They uh, had the 10 milligram bags, which we've been loving for a while. Yeah, I take them to every movie I see. And now they've got the 100 milligram bags. Uh, so stoked to crack this baby so open. So this is what, when you go to a movie with friends... Or like you go to like your play, yes. like bring a hundred milli bag. Absolutely, yes. right? That's the way to go. Yeah, my this play is a friendship is meant for edibles, without a doubt. <laughs> without I feel like doubt. all plays are meant for edibles, totally. right? Or the no, right, the nice. right kind of edibles. There's an amazing. Um, it's this mm. old. Uh, uh, Sanskrit saying about how art should be like the judgment of art mm -hmm. and it's like three things it should fit three rules like one tell you a little bit about how the universe works uh, two tell you a little bit about how to live your life and then three it should appeal to the drunk and I think that now extends to you know the edibles. That's brilliant. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. That's brilliant. And wow. it's a mix of those two things. Which oh is so God. downtown theater, right? Like having yeah. amazing ideas, talking about the universe, how we live our lives, but also we're going to have a great fucking time. That's right. You and know. that's what I'm going to attempt to do with my uh, show that I'm working on right now that I hope you'll direct. I would love I'm to. asking you on pod. Wait. <laughs> yeah, is this a fish? Because I know the show you're talking about. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about the other night. Yes, I would yeah. love to. This would be wonderful. We've talked about it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hello, right. Cannabis we, World. You we heard put it in the air on podcast. These fucking sumo snacks are, are so delicious. And I also shout out the even disbursement of the flavor powder per chip. <laughs> it's so it's an even perfect chip of flavor displacement. And you get a little stone. Why not? Yep. So go to sumosnacks.com. Uh, you can get a free sample. They'll ship you a yep. free sample. Taste a couple flavors, see which one you like, and then get the infused version. World-class savory snacks with weed in them. Fucking delicious. Mm. Thank and, you, Sumo. Yeah. Okay, Grubla Gazette. Grubla Gazette this week. What do week. we have? Presented by Marijuana Moment this week is where I'm pulling up this article. And as of July 17th, and oh, I know that you... <laughs> this is getting... Um, so we know where we are in the timeline. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, when this releases March 22nd, 2023, maybe we'll <laughs> be a little bit further along by then. That's Act 3. We're in Act 3 now. Um, <laughs> President Joe Biden says his administration is working on, quote unquote, plans to fulfill his campaign pledge to free people who are incarcerated for marijuana. This marks the first time that the president has publicly made a substantive comment about cannabis policy since taking office more than a year ago. Here's Ugh. his quote. I don't think anyone should be in, pri in prison for the use of marijuana, he said in response to a question from the New York Post. And then he said, we are working on a crime bill now. And then the president added, though, it's not clear what legislation he's referring to. And then none of the White House staff has said anything more than that. So it's a weak sauce news story, but it is news because Biden is finally addressing something that he did campaign on, which was to free pot prisoners and possibly to decriminalize marijuana, I believe. Look, the dude ain't doing too hot. So if you really want to get reelected or anything, you might want to make weed federally legal. That feels like a really nice card to play for all the right reasons, right? Yeah. Am I crazy on that to just be like, yo, no. hit legal, 
open the gates and give it another go. No, no, no. I don't think. So here's my thing. I, I used to be super pro federal legalization. And then I looked into it because I wrote a story about all the different pieces of legislation Is that are moving through Congress uh, for Vox. For Vox. And it was sort of an explainer about what's happening at the federal level right now and all of the different aspects and bills that are at play. Um one of the things that I learned through speaking with a cannabis attorney named Shaleen Title, who's the head of a drug think tank called the Parabola Center, is that federal legalization, the, the, the thing that would happen with it quite quickly it would be interstate commerce and the amount of corporations that are waiting in the wings that already have interstate sort of abilities set up to dominate the industry would be really problematic. So we need to roll it out really slowly. And she was like, first decriminalize and then just let that sit for a couple of years, see what we learn, gather data, gather data, gather data, then start working on the rest of the sort of like federal aspects. But, you know, we need to figure out what it looks like when states are able to um, like when we just when you can transport it across borders and when states are able to have commerce and interchange, it's going to really affect the small businesses who have really depended depended on being able to dominate their local markets. So, so you're saying first first step, hey Biden, he just listens, decriminalize. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Biden, I think Biden listens to this pod. Uh -huh. um, uh, he's like podcast. What's a podcast? Um, I've never heard of a I've podcast. Never heard of a, is that a gramophone? You put the, <laughs> turn over the record. Anyway, um, you're saying first decrim, meaning on a state level, state by state. No, federally decriminalize cannabis, so it's no longer a Schedule One drug. Okay, just decriminalize it, meaning it, it's no longer criminal to possess or consume. Step two would be in a few years once you've gathered a bunch of data then you could look at actually regulating it. But first, you just need to not make it a crime to have it. Got it. Like Portugal, I think, is a really sort of famously successful model for drug decriminalization. It's not regulated to sell everything, but everything is decriminalized. So you're just never going to go to jail for drugs. Cool. That's the first step. That is the first step. And data based on that will allow everything else to unfold. And in then a we can figure out how to re yeah, regulate it in a way that will actually benefit all of the local economies and the equity applicants who are should be the first to the table, but currently are not. Under most state regulatory programs, the social equity applicants get totally fucking posed mm -hmm. um, by corporations who can use them as Trojan horses into the market, which is something that's, you know, just a crazy thing. Like a, a social equity applicant will have the license, but they won't actually have the capital to fund a business. So along comes the, you know, corporate cannabis and they're like, well, we'll give you the money to fund it. And then they effectively own that license and it's just a problem. So yep. there's a lot of work to do before we legalize it at a federal level so that the people who need to benefit first and foremost from legal weed are able to. Uh, thank you for educating me on all of that, because I keep walking around and just being like, let's go. But I don't really know what I'm let's going exactly. Right. You know? Yeah. We don't want the federal government to run shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should run less, not more. Oh. oh. So anyway, Biden, get get off your fucking hiney. Hiney? Wow. Yeah. That's an old timey word. Um, and, so. you know, decrim, de <laughs> baby. He has a hiney, an old winkly hiney. <laughs> Um, so oh, that's man. the news. He has a hiney. Grab the cassette. Biden has a hiney. How well, many? You know, oh, just, how many people do we think are in prison for uh, marijuana use in this? Country? This is a great point, Mark. I'm glad you bring it up because of a piece that Weed Week recently published that I think Shout you were out gonna, Alex. Yeah, Alex Halperin, who I'll runs pull it up in Weed Week. Yeah. yeah. So there's a a group called the Last Prisoner Project that has been quoting the statistic: forty thousand pot prisoners 
for as long as they've been in operation. I think they were founded three or four years ago now. And that's the statistic that they use consistently to say, we need to get these people out of prison. And then Weed Week recently did a deep dive into it. And they were like, actually, the number of federal prisoners is closer to, I think, 12 or 16,000, depending on what the data is that you look at. But the statistics definitely don't necessarily say that there are 40,000 um, pop prisoners. And then there was a sort of back and forth. It was like, well, it doesn't, the number doesn't actually matter. The fact that there's, there are any prisoners is, you know, what, what last prisoner See, project is thing, trying to advocate for. The number does fucking matter. And here's why. Because do y'all know Jewel, the vapes Jewels? Yes. Yeah. The government just fucking came in heavy on Jewel, ripped them out of every store, ripped them out of everywhere because they found data that wasn't linking up and making sense that Jewel was providing. And so the federal government was like, well, then now we have every leverage we need to take complete control over how you do business because your numbers weren't adding up in a way that actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. So Jewel, you're out. You're out till you get your shit together. And until then, we will just control all of it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of us not knowing or us not quoting the correct amount of prisoners in prison for weed mm -hmm. is actually super important to have lines dotted, T's crossed, Q's hooked because um, otherwise, if we don't have our shit together, the, go the federal government can come in and just like add heavy leverage. And be like, well, you don't know what area. you're talking about. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I think accuracy is important, but I also do believe that the point being made by Last Prisoner uh, Project saying, you know, the fact that anyone is in prison is what we're talking about and that we need to get every single prisoner out. That, you know, obviously is their mission as stated and is important and whether or not the number is um, exact may not matter. I don't know. I did, it matters I did, to me. I did see Weldon Angelos, who uh, runs a group called Mission Green. He was a federal weed prisoner who I think served 13 years. And he now is an advocate and doing great work. And his um, group, Mission Green, uh, predates Last Prisoner. And he came out and he, he said, like, yeah, I've been saying for a while that this number isn't correct. So I think there's a lot of brouhaha going around about all of it. And, you know, I'm sure there's some some in information that we don't know about that's you know behind yeah. the scenes but I, I don't really yeah i don't have any interest in any infighting within the community but i do have an interest in knowing the facts and keeping them straight so that sure. when when it comes time to like push back on anything like the fucking the manila folder is thick with accuracy <laughs> do you, you have the weed week article there yeah i do here let me scan and scroll while yeah you... what what what's your feeling i mean I, I you seem like you've smoked weed since you were maybe nine years old no 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 i started in college but in i was college. like yeah it was very straight and then like yeah strangely i don't know what it was one of those things i think because being raised in like a republican house i was just like i was scared of it you know yeah. what i mean it, like the mm -hmm. the the propaganda had worked and then tried it and immediately fell in love you know what i mean it was just like oh this is this is my drug yeah <laughs> you know right. and then since then i've been a daily smoker since i tried it in college so i'm like 20 years in. and and with all <laughs> of that do you think it's made for better art yeah that's interesting Ooh, this is a whole things so i think that a lot of artists that i know are in the most, I mean this in the most charming way, mad in some way, right? Mad I, crazy or mad angry? Mad crazy. Okay. You know what I mean? But, in a, but in the, I mean that in a delightful way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there is something different about the, the great, greatest artists I know. And I think weed is a great way for people to medicate themselves when they might have ways of looking at the world that could drive them crazy. And so many geniuses that, are, that we know in the world take their lives. And I, for me personally, I think weed is something that could keep me, not that I'm, I'm suicidal in any way, but from like losing my damn mind, you know, and especially as the world is melting around us, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And like we're seeing women's rights and gay rights and the rights of people of color being challenged in a way that I did not expect in our lifetime. Right. That I think that, yes. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I don't know how it actually leads to art. I mean, I, you know, 
I think a lot of artists smoke and do different drugs while they're making work. Of course, totally. I would imagine so. I think the Beatles got a hell of a lot better once they figured those things out. You know, and it's like we see these shifts in the work, right? For me, it just helped me open myself up. But I found it at such a young age. I don't know what it would have been if I didn't. So it's hard to make the comparison, but it will open your mind, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's part of why I moved to New York. And that maybe is even the most valuable thing you can do is just get out of your hometown, right? Like no matter where it is, even if it's L.A., wherever it is, New York, even if it's New York, like go other places. You need to see more of the world. Preach. And so... Drug help, drugs help me get to that. <laughs> you know, like, if we like, lived we in a nation that. that was populated by people who were well-traveled, I feel like we would be in such a different place. I feel like that small town mentality, which is so so wonderful in so many ways. I truly do. I mean, I come no, from a very small, totally. a relatively small place. And I think that like hometown pride and all of the things that you can associate that are like, that I think are positive about the small town stuff is also, you know, part of the problem when you just have never seen the way other people live. And, you know, totally. I mean, that's obviously an easy platitude to say, but like, just, yeah, leave yeah. your, leave your town, go see some stuff, go to a place where you, you don't speak the language, you don't know the customs, get out of your comfort zone, eat some weird food. Yes. Try some drug you've never tried. Yeah. <laughs> Open your mind. Uh, be but safe about it, though. <laughs> we have connections with all these people. We were talking about this a little bit before, Mike, about just like you go to these other places and, you know, you're on tour right now mm-hmm. and you see these other places where people are different than us. But there is a connection. We are, you know, I would I would argue that people on the right, as my shirt talks about, like Fox News is prop, is a propaganda machine that is affecting these people. And like we can still reach them and talk to them. There's the human side is more important than that. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, all of that. Um, how many... What is this? Oh, so I think we should just put the link to this whole story in the show notes because the Weed Week story really goes through a whole bunch of statistics um, calling this 40,000 cannabis prisoners number into question. And there's so many different statistics cited in here that just do, through doing a quick scroll, I can't really um, encapsulate it quickly. So we'll put the link in the show notes. It's okay. really interesting to do a dive into it, though, because um, there is a document that concludes that it, the 40,000 number dramatically undercounts the number of prisoners and also that there's another person that says it's a huge overcount. So obviously it's um it's still up for debate and yeah. the debate rages on, but we'll put that link in the show notes. So and that's also why it's it important out. because like all of them should be out, but how much is all of them? And right? how do we not know? And how do we not how know? do we yeah, not that's know? It's like a such fucking a great question. Because we we have statistics on, you know, everything. I feel like there's, you know, it's just well, I guess not, though, too. I mean, America is like really great at obfuscating uh, numbers. And like, I mean, just look at the COVID data. Like it's depending on who you ask, it's either still raging or not a problem. So. Right. right. <sighs> Wait, are you saying that um, everyone in cannabis should wear a gold star and get a tattooed number on their <laughs> forearm starting from one and just going up to anyone in the industry? Uh, n- is Say that more. What you're saying? <laughs> Say not, more, Mike. You're not going to support this joke. Why don't joke? you take that rope wow. that you just tried to hand me and hang yourself with it? <laughs> I'm going to just let you just go. I'm taking theater risks, baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, you changed color. <laughs> I did. I'm like, you I thought maybe hot. we would play a quick, risky game, and instead, on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quick, risky games with weed and grub. Never a good idea. Never a good idea. <laughs> so, Mark, what up, man? <laughs> Let's talk about comedy. Yeah, yeah. Like real comedy, not, <laughs> not hack stuff. Yeah. What What is your relationship to comedy? Do you like it? Do you enjoy stand up? Yeah, you? I grew up like loving stand up, and so that's what I want to talk with you about it. Like, I think of it as like, um, it's like the closest thing we have to like profits, right? Like, there's something of there's something yeah. that they're able to say on stage that like you just don't have opportunities to say other places. And for me, it was like Bill Hicks is like my mm. like my sacred 
stand up, but like Richard Pryor, you know what I mean? Like that era, right? Carlin. Eddie, mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Like all through there. And I always love ranters. So like, you know, even like Lewis Black, who's like maybe not on the same level as some of the men- people we mentioned, but I, you know, we've mentioned, but I like people going off, you know what I mean? About whatever they passionately believe in. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm just, I love this idea that you're able to do this. How did you come to stand up and like, yeah, I don't know, just thought I'd hear you talk about well, it. Well, I mean, on the Bill Hicks tip specifically i feel like i'm finally this is like my sixth year doing stand-up roughly like i didn't I, I i dabbled with it a bit in chicago but i really started taking it seriously when i moved here to la and i um i finally feel like i'm at a place in my ability to have my own voice my own thoughts and make them funny enough to listen to that i do feel comfortable taking those chances to have an opinion on the world and have an opinion on things the way that somebody like Bill Hicks does. I tried it quite a bit earlier in my career, especially in Chicago. And I hope those tapes never resurface because they are just like, they're either hateful or they're unfunny, or I just don't know how to thread that fucking needle to do the thing I'm trying to do, but I'm trying, but it's bad and Mm -hmm. it's not okay, but I'm trying. And so I finally feel like I'm at a place now when I do Edinburgh and when I do all those things, I'm going to record an album or I'm going to figure out what to do with all this material, but I'm genuinely like, excited to put a lot of it to bed to work a bit more on the personal things the things from my life the things that i feel about the world because i feel like i'm finally at a place where i i have things to say and i know how to convey them in a way that makes them tolerable and funny to hear totally but honest you know and so i'm really excited for where i'm at in stand-up but i would also say that stand-up is in a very exciting place especially this week um stand-ups are kind of taking the power back from the institutions in a weird way right now. What do you mean this week? Um, this week specifically, and this is being, as we all know, recorded February 2019, is <laughs> um, so there's a guy named Andrew Schultz, who's a great comedian, and he bought his uh, special back from one of the streaming services oh. because they tried to give him notes on it and cut a couple of jokes where they're like, oh, we're a little wary on this. And so he just bought it back and he's going to put it on YouTube and the stand-up community is going to see what that looks like to never get notes again monetize it on youtube have Mm. complete freedom i mean specials are incredibly expensive i would imagine it's probably the same price as putting a theater show together would probably be the same as filming a special right 50k yeah 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 yeah. but to like rent the theater and get the whole thing done right Right. and so how do you monetize it make your money back and do all these things but Mm -hmm. that could also mean you never again need to get notes from anywhere and if it's on youtube it can reach all over the world. You can chop it up into clips and put it on TikTok. You can chop it up into clips and put it on shorts on YouTube, Instagram. You can really put it everywhere in as many different formats as possible. And if you can actually make money doing that, then you never have to have a gatekeeper again. And you own it. And you fucking own yeah. it. And so it's this really exciting time where you can shoot yourself in the foot or it could be wildly successful. But either way, it's, it's nice to have it. It's nice for it to be yours. Just like a theater piece where it's just like, nope. This is what we believe in. Yep. We have done the best we can. Let's take ownership of it. That's yeah. the other thing, too, between downtown theater and Broadway. That's the difference is that Broadway is owned. Broadway is investors. Totally. Broadway is, you know, Beanie Feldstein's family bankrolling her and Funny Girl. Broadway is a totally different scenario. And when you look at downtown theater, that belongs to the artist and the theater and the people who created it. Yeah. And that just like stand-up comedy, that's so exciting to hear. Like, because there, there have been comics who have, like, Conan O'Brien famously lost all of his IP when he left his show 100%. then he got fired in like a month from yeah. his new show right so <laughs> so just to own your own your stuff that's that's really exciting also shout out Kate Bush who owns all of the fucking rights to all of her music and is making 
bank because 40 years after her hit song running up that hill drop stranger things put it in their thing and now she's getting all the money <laughs> hell yeah so owning your shit own your shit that's cool so uh i guess this is a good place to say like in addition to supporting us and our sponsors like sumo snacks and people and places we believe in if you I don't know if you like Andrew Schultz's comedy, but if you can support him in this venture, it actually is a much bigger idea than just one person putting out a special. It's all about like having a system in place that allows you to do what you want because you believe in it. What is he going to charge you on YouTube? Great question. You don't know? I'm Great. 420. Hey. hey, just a suggestion. <laughs> you can hit so many people on YouTube. You know, what I mean? you think if it was five dollars, yeah, it's sure. like yeah, you could easily make that money back. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's also donations that you can do through places like YouTube. So, like Louis C.K., he he just put his album out, Hot. put it on his website. <laughs> you pay him to his website. That money goes to him. Um, but the problem with that is that now you have to. The problem with that is that he's Louis C.K. I'm sorry, I just got. <laughs> as a person in the room who is, you know, anti Lou, a woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can't jerk off in front of people. I'm sorry. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> you just can't. Valid. What? Yeah. You really Unconsensual think... jerking off is not cool. And that Without guy is permission. not cool. <laughs> and he affected people's careers in a negative way. And he's never assumed responsibility for that. Fuck that guy. Carry on. Word. Well fucking said. That's why we do this pod. Um, the, the point is with somebody like Andrew Schultz and what he's doing is um, when it's behind the paywall on a website, you probably have to like that person enough to go to the website to find it to pay the money right but by having it on a place like youtube where it's donation based maybe he can charge for it it's it's just global access at the highest level right now and it's a really cool like way to possibly do things in the future that's awesome yeah. in younger generations it's like all they're doing you know what i mean like to tell a kid they're gonna get an hbo stream like are you kidding me? you know somebody's in their 20s right now it's like no no i'm on youtube i use these things and like yeah, yeah hold it whole apps that i don't even know about yeah but you know what i mean like they are not using the traditional i would also say system. that it goes back to like what you're doing in theater where you're like i found a play i want to fucking do it let's put it up um you can do that in anything yes. now which is so exciting like yes. you don't have to wait around to like pitch a show and then go through a round of notes like i don't know how much anything costs at all like we do this podcast we just got video this year man yeah, like i don't know God. how things work <laughs> thank you, you know? mark <laughs> yeah but i'm um, amazed you know? that on stand-up sets that they get notes i did i'm that's how naive i am i didn't know that i assumed that it was sacred and that they came in and they filmed it maybe it was edited but the straight up to be like, no, you need to change that joke. Yeah. I knew that was always when you're on like uh, late night shows. I've always heard stories of that. Like ABC doesn't like this joke. You've got to change this to this. But when you're making your own special, that's right? crazy to me. Yeah. Well, how do you balance that with like working, especially um, I feel even sensitive asking a question about this new play because you are a white dude and it no, is totally. a black playwright, correct? Yes. So how do you, what do, what do those conversations look like where you're like, I need I think this is what I need. What do you need? Like, is this a constant, you know, flow of information that we have to have a safe place to speak our minds? How does this look? Totally. It's exactly that. I think it's just like as, as best you can communicate, being humble and knowing that I will fuck up. And then the beauty of theater, I think, is that it's a collaboration. Like my when I direct it is not a Mary Jane can speak to this. It's not me like go over there and do this. Like we were working together trying to figure out oh, what this is. Oh, that was is. my and biggest was... mistake as a director. I want to talk about directing after yeah, this. Yeah, no, I would say none of it. that. Working know? with Mark is so fantastic because a direction from you is often a question. Yeah, we're just like talking and we're just trying to figure out what is the best version of this. Yeah. And I don't know how to act. You know what I mean? Like I acted in college when I was young, but what they're able to do, I, I can't do. So yeah, it's completely collaborative. And yeah. so I'm hoping this will work in this regard. It will help that Lachey will be in the room with us always. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't think it'll be me directing a black family often. 
in. Lachey will be with us. She will have. So because the biggest faux pas for me is stepping into things that I don't understand about black culture, um, because my only my main version of black culture is what I know from hip hop and shipping a suburban white kid, mm -hmm. you know, and that obviously is not accurate to what it is to be a black family in Los Angeles. And so I will just be open and, you know, talking to these actors to get their experiences to figure that out. And really, all my job is I'm just the mirror. Like more than anything, I'm the thing that like just tells them what I'm seeing. Yeah. So they're and you're there to it tell so tell the story that I already am. exists in the most effective way for that story exactly. to sing the loudest. Is this reading or not? How yeah. is this reading and how is this feeling? Yeah. Um. And we yeah. So Stop leaning just, on the I'll... chair. Don't touch the furniture. <laughs> yes, oh, you would hate well. me as an actor, dude. <laughs> I am a constant <laughs> business boy. <laughs> That's amazing. A lot of business. Prop all heavy, the time. huh? <laughs> yeah. I can just imagine you'd be like leaning on the chair with a fidget spinner and all the costume items on. Yeah. I'm straightening a tie with one hand. And, oh, you know, yeah. it's so fucking impressive. And I know it's like a bit of a trope, but like seeing someone occupy space without props and just tell you a story just with their like, it's pretty fucking stellar. My friend Raul Beneja, who I shouted out on this podcast recently, does Hamlet solo, just dressed all in black. And it's fucking fascinating. He holds you for 90 minutes. I know the idea of a guy dressed all in black doing one person <laughs> Hamlet doesn't sound like a great time. It really is. Go check out Raul's show at the United Solo Festival this uh, whenever this comes out <laughs> in uh, November 2026. Yep. And uh, but yeah, it's like it's funny to think of you being on stage because I just know you as like an energetically sort of like you you need to keep moving person. Oh, yeah. Um, that you would you... be like leaning on things and touching things a lot. <laughs> Did you do any theater as a kid? No, um, here, if I were to, if I were to make my like areas of things, I would say that, um, no theater as a kid, but tons of improv in Chicago, okay. really fast on my feet, really quick witted, um, made me lazy because I never had to write anymore. I could just show up, fucking have a whiskey and just be funny as fuck and then go home and be like, we did it, baby. But like, there's no, there's nothing like no script, yeah, no rehearsal. Exactly. And so when it came to stand up, I just did all crowd work all the time because I could do it and I was great at it. And, I, and but I was like, oh, but that's not sustainable. Like, there's no body of work in that that I would be able to put out like as an album or there's a piece no crowd of work, work album, right? There, well, there's tons of crowd work albums, but. I I am I then I lose my ability to say anything about myself or things I believe in right because I'm I'm tearing apart NASA or wherever this guy <laughs> works you know what I mean yeah and so um at, retroactively I had to learn and get better at sketch and acting and I'm not very good at either but my dream would be to be able to be good enough at like doing less with lines and knowing my lines and keeping it good and then letting someone just let me fucking go off and that's why i book that's how i book all my commercials can i just say on that note because i just recently helped you do an audition and put you on tape for something and i just asked you to do less and it was really cool to watch you do less and be so fucking compelling in that moment mm, it was a you. great audition i hope you book that fucking thing and um and then right after that, I think that same night, we were watching someone, I can't even remember who the actor was, and you were like, how is that actor so good? Because he isn't doing anything. They're literally, whoever that was, it yeah. was a powerhouse When dude. I watch The Bear right now, I feel yeah. that way. I watch him, and yeah. I'm like, literally, it's He's just not him doing anything. watching everything burn <laughs> around him. Yeah. But I'm just like, I love you. I just want to watch you. I'm like so intrigued. I will mm -hmm. say, on, you know? on, on The Bear, though, mm -hmm. he does have great hair for acting. Totally. And, and eyes. In the just, eyes. He's got oh, the man. tortured he's, chef he's, hair and no, eyes. He's beautiful to look at. Oh, he's yeah. incredible and he can act then he, like, then he yeah. will have that moment but he is he's withholding so much yeah. yeah and this is what I don't know I don't understand film and TV yet I'll shoot my first things in the next year or so I think I'll start to dabble into TV and film mm -hmm. but it is it's like all in the eyes it's so subtle Ugh. it's so pulled back 
Yeah, I'll it's figure so it out, fantastic. but it's crazy. Because you've got someone, for me, like uh, some of my favorite actors, like Melissa McCarthy is a fantastic example of someone who does a lot that is always highly entertaining. She's not a still actor. Yeah. She's infusing everything physically in her, you know, everything she does is really like, like high energy. And so she's incredible. But like at the other end of the spectrum, if you watch someone like Julianne Moore, she does nothing. Nothing. She's never done a one thing in any movie ever. Mm-hmm. She's literally just so still. And there's, it just is all behind that perfect bone structure. Totally. Wait, but purely for YouTube yeah. video, because we have YouTube now, can okay. I pimp you into doing a Gillian Anderson lip twitch? Oh, another perfect example of what was that goddamn murder show that she did with Jamie, Jamie Dornan? I don't know. Uh, it's on Amazon just, Prime. It's just it's like quicker. silk blouses and lip twitches. And she's just like... <laughs> like she just it's she isolates like one part of her lip and a corner of her eyebrow and just decimates everyone in the room oh my god it's okay hang on i love it <laughs> it's she i mean Jillian god yeah amazing. i could jizz all day about her she's my fucking favorite this is her little body her perfect little body oh she's oh, amazing I can i ask her. you about casting yeah. as somebody who loves to improvise and is not a strong actor but gets to audition a lot so i'm getting better at acting mm-hmm. for casting things is it is it important that people are off book when they audition for you? Is it important that they do the lines and they do them word perfect? Is it a vibe? Like, how do you cast for theater? Mm. Uh, for me, no, it isn't that they have to be off everything. So, okay, lots of ways I could talk about this. I was in the room once, uh, uh, Michael Stubark. Do you guys know who Michael Stubark is? Yes. So Michael Stubark, he's in uh, Call Me By Your Name. He's like in the end of that, but he's an mm-hmm. actor from New he York. He was also in The Shape of Water. Yeah, yeah. I did two shows with him at Classic Stage Companies. He's, he's incredible. Coolest. And he was like amazing stage actor in New York. So we were doing a thing at Soho Rep, and it was like Sarah Benson was directing, it was for a gala. They were bringing celebrities to kind of like read some things. And they brought in like Ed Norton, Parker Posey. I don't mean to talk. I realize <laughs> all the names. Like, they, all the names. These are so, real people. No, no, no. But this I mean, like, so that they come in and you see them doing downtown theater work, mm-hmm. and they're struggling. Like, it's hard for them. Like, because they're know, film. It's just, yeah, it's just not what they do. Yeah. But Stuhlbart comes in, and they're all like reading mm. off the script and stumbling and stuff. And they're not auditioning. It's something they're doing us a favor. They're going to do a thing for rich people so that they give us money to go eat at a fancy dinner. You know what I mean? So it's not like that's what this is. So, so. much of theater, fucking yeah, charity, specifically yeah. what it is. But. Michael came in and he did like a version of the model. He's like looking at it and then he puts it down and does it. And you're just like on the ground. And then he finishes and he goes like, but I thought it could also be done like this. And he does it again, totally fucking different, but just as nuanced. And and you're just like, you're a God. You're like a God. And so, yes, it matters. But it's like, you know, it's uh, bottom line. If you hit the beats perfectly. I love you. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And if you read them, however you do it. So it's all very audio to me. It's like jazz, lines. right? I feel yeah, like yeah, it's almost like melodic or you're something. You're talking about it like it's music. The yeah. person that does it the best right now, if I look at something, is like the voiceovers for Pixar. The lead female, I don't know her name, who's in Encanto. She's from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, I don't know her name. It's perfect. Yeah. Like listen to her performance as the lead in Encanto. First, just that it's that actress, this actress yeah. you've seen a hundred million times and doing something totally different usually. And then in this case, she's doing it and just, it's pitch perfect. Every single beat is pitch perfect. That is so interesting. <clears throat> the idea of you become a better actor if I actually can't see you at all because you can nail the line oh, for the line. Right. And that they can do it over and over again or something in voiceover. Because I think Pixar is just bringing them in until it's perfect, I'm guessing. I don't know how they do it. They do. It's they magic. piecemeal it together like yeah. word by word sometimes. It is yeah. so perfect you're and making so, me think too of the of the of the difference yeah, between know you know I feel bad. a wonderful theater actor who then translates incredibly to film and it's not the case for all great theater actors some theater actors just never make that leap because they're just not you know 
they're they're too too theater actory or whatever totally. it is. But the tr- the the sort of like the cross backwards for a great film actor to be really good on stage just doesn't happen nearly as fucking often. Wow. And I remember I saw a great uh, example of that when I saw a Broadway show with three movie actors and they were up there and I was like, I can't hear you. Like I literally, <laughs> I can't even hear you. I'm sure you're great, but I can't hear you. And I just went to a, a show at the Fringe here in LA and again, it was similarly like four very good and talented actors, I'm sure, who I couldn't hear. And I was in a black box. I was like, guys, rule number one, I need to hear you in order to be able to enjoy this show. And, I always um, felt that way at Shakespeare in the Park. They'd yeah. have some like BC level celebrities like film up on actors, stage. Yeah, right? film actors like, and stuff. And it was like, <laughs> this is a 2000 seat outdoor amphitheater. Like you need to work in a very specific way to do this. You got to fill that fucking space. Yeah, man. It is Ooh. like you're getting to like opera singing style. You know what I mean? Like you've yeah. got to. That's real projection yeah. and they're even mic'd and stuff but still yeah but when you but hear I saw someone Meryl like, in that space you see Meryl just kill it you know what I mean where she like can amazing. go back and forth effortlessly but I think of someone like Amber mm. Gray who you know fills the space with like every rib is like expanding with each breath and her power is just like reaches to the fucking back 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 it's so cool but that's very you oh, you know what I mean like thanks. I said like the power of that filling that space I think of you well, you're directing like my show, Mark, and it's called Make Me a Sandwich, and it's coming out uh, next year, hopefully at the Elysian Theater. I'm just putting it in the air. Make nice. Me a Sandwich. Mm-hmm. Fuck, well, I'm yeah. a working title. It's I don't know who would want to see that show, but it'll be called something cool. Okay. Yeah. Good. I can't wait to attend. I'll be I'll be breathing into the back corners. Oh, yeah. yeah. Stephanie Beatrix. Oh. That's her name. From Encanto. Yes. Yes. Great um, voice work. I also wanted to ask you, like, when it comes to comedy and, um, like, I don't know, do you like it? Like, do you really like comedy for like stand up comedy? Or what do you mean? Well, like why nobody we were talking the other day and like somebody was like, I, there hasn't been a good comedy movie in Ooh. 10, 15 years. And I was oh like, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> Barb and Star. I will watch every day until the day Everything I die. Everything everywhere all at once. I Everything everywhere. It was fucking amazing. Dude, it's so comedic ride. Funny. I laughed my ass off. Fucking yeah, totally. A. Michelle Yeoh doing physical comedy. So yeah. good. Yeah. When Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis, Curtis with dude. that fucking punch down the so stairs. I was on. laughing, delightfully giggling that whole cool. film. So you really uh, do absorb and you go out. I think Get Out was one of the funniest things I've seen live, like in a room full of people laughing at myself. The dad in that, the like liberal, like, you know what I mean? Like just laughing at myself. The second time I saw it, I laughed. The first time I was terrified and it fucking shook me so hard. <laughs> like, the second time I was like, okay, I, I, I mean, see that's the funniness. The, I mean, the brilliance of it, you know, has all of that there. So good. But no, I think there's definitely good comedies. I mean, from, there's a difference, right? There's something, I feel like 9-11 changed things. There's like a whole different world. And we go back and everyone loves to point at the Ghostbusters, Raising Arizona. Sure, sure. These are like fucking amazingly funny movies. But we've like lost our innocence or something. We, lo- we have to look at ourselves differently on this side. And it's mm. harder to laugh, maybe. And we laugh differently. It can't just be totally fucking silly or something anymore we need that though i feel like maybe we're gonna get back to it but that's what i feel has somehow been sucked out the like um fucking what was the come in the hair that kind of just oh something about mary yeah like and even though that shit's sexually offensive don't get me wrong again we've made progress in other ways that also may challenge that work but just stuff that like our airplane just a fucking run of jokes we're not even in reality yeah doesn't fucking matter we're just Mm -hmm. laughing and that's maybe truer to life than fucking anything back to like talking about theater the whole point to me is verisimilitude like how much does it look like life and these things we're watching these mcu entertainments and shit don't look like life at fucking all it's all too put together it's way less chaotic than it should be and it's too fair and just (laughs) (laughs) what life is and so we need things that look more like life and i think that yeah so like i think in a lot of ways we got to get weirder and crazier 
Ooh, yeah. that's exciting. Get weirder and crazier. That was my favorite thing about Everything Everywhere All at Once was just how, totally. you know, that when you finally get to that scene with the rocks and it's like eight <laughs> minutes long and there's no oh, audio Lord. and you're like, this is fucking perfect. So bold. So well done. I hope uh, so many people see that they just had knew nothing about it. That like, yeah, going to that film without any like previews, that movie, knowing nothing. Is I don't like you. Wonderful. No, saying. it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> and to see a uh, short round, you know what I mean? Like I hadn't seen that actor in fucking 30 years or something. Yeah. yeah. And they have him just slay, like just slay it. Uh, he was so good. That's a great, that's a great film. So yeah, I do think there's good, still good comedies, but I also, you know, there's also anytime you have to be PC and you have to appeal to the masses, it's hard to be funny, you know. And you like, end up with like that Anne Hathaway Rebel Wilson, Wilson movie, which I was so excited about, and then I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, what a bummer!" Like yeah, yeah. these are two actors who, if they were given the opportunity to get weird, I feel like they would totally embrace it. Um, and yeah, it was just like so fucking, yeah. you know, boring. So what was your biggest failure in theater? Did you try to do something that like, oh, we're gonna do and we're gonna push the limits, and then everyone was like, "Hey, man." No. <laughs> no, that's interesting. What was the? I don't know. Wow. All of my stuff, like Map, had crazy, like winning best, some of the best theater in LA mm -hmm. articles, and then also the LA Times being like, "We don't get it," you know. So like, there's always, I've always had reviews that break my heart, that just like crush me. My moment when I think of what you're saying the most was putting up a show. And I had the New York Times come. It was called Tube. It was after Gunga Din. Oh, yeah. And it was me. This is early YouTube. And I was just looking at the whole play. It was just people reenacting the early YouTube videos. And it had to have at least a million hits. It was things like the fat kid with the Star Wars. Absolutely. You know, these the kind of videos. Yeah. Early, you know, like almost meme videos that were going around. And we were reenacting them live. We would, with a live camera, we had a tower of TVs. You, would you could choose to watch it live or you could watch, like, as we're filming it, the loop. You know, like, watch it. And the, the writer from the New York Times came and he was laughing his ass off and just having the time of his life. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to fucking blow up. And then he ripped it apart. Wow. And I was sitting there reading that and just so crushed and realizing I owed this theater all this money. It's always that's the hard part. It's like that you're financially tied into this bullshit as well as a kid in New York making no money. You know what I mean? Like I was uh, yeah, an adjunct teacher at the time. You're just like, oh. And then my mom, out of love of me, like I think because she knew I was doing the show and stuff, she was just going down nostalgia and she was posting pictures of me as a kid doing plays on Facebook. And I was just weeping, being like, take this down. Like there's a New York Times article out right now calling me a hack. You can't post pictures of me as a baby doing theater right now. Oh. And it was just like that and calling her and asking her to stop and her feeling so bad at stopping and being very sweet about it. But like something about that moment was like what maybe you're talking about where I was just like, oh, what yeah. am I doing? What are we doing? Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you keep getting up and making things. You do. And it's always been better. It's always gets better and better. You just make me think of when I made a play called burning cage with my partner nicole dufresne our first review called us axe grinding feminists and was like this play is just you know we don't understand what Man these two, two women are doing on Jesus. stage two women talking to each other about what wait did I'm, you talk about dudes the whole time or not no we talked about oh, each other it was a fucking great weird show that was based in mk ultra and there was like fucking you know walls melting it was very weird and awesome and we loved it so much we were so proud of it we took it to our first stop which was the minneapolis fringe in 2002 and yeah we got this horrible fucking review and they called us axe grinding feminists and we were like oh god no we have like five more stops on this fringe tour and we kept going though because we were you know undaunted and in our 20s and very fucking you know full of ourselves and we kept going and going and going and by the time we got to our last stop which was the victoria fringe 
Nicole won the Best Actor in the Fringe Award. We got held over. We won all this stuff. Then we went to Seattle. Again, like huge, you know, hugely well received. And it was just such a great example to have for me at that time in my career to be like, someone will think that it fucking sucks and someone else will be so moved by it that they will tell you you're the best thing ever totally and that's no i'll still get stopped by people just out of nowhere that are just like oh you directed that one thing that was like my favorite show that year you know what i mean or whatever it is you just like you realize it's like yeah yeah that's and that's why you're doing it you know what i mean to connect to that one person Mm -hmm. and that's same with stand-up right like man you find that one joke that like just summarizes what you're trying to see in the world it's yeah it's spiritual it is spiritual well (laughs) i mean this is a bit of a walk down memory lane and geeking about theater this episode so i will share when I first moved here, um, I know your sister is a part of UCB, mm-hmm. and um, I joined UCB as an intern. It's a uh, improv theater, if anyone doesn't know, started by um, Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh. Um, just Google it. It's fine. And um, I, the first thing I did was write a big sketch show with myself at the center of it, and it was called Truth, and it got an extended, extended, extended run, and it was me a professional breakdancer, a live violinist, my friend Lisa, who's a great character actor, and that's it, and me at the center. And the very first sketch opens with a live violinist, big afro, his name's Chris, and he's playing violin. And I come up to the professional breakdancer and I go, hey, man, I heard you were stealing my moves because it was all about like at the time somebody had stolen a bunch of my comedy and started doing it as their own and they were famous. And so I wrote this sketch where I was like, hey, man, I heard you're stealing my moves. And he's like, what moves? And I go like this. And I'm like trying to break dance. And he's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Do you mean this? And then he would like spin on his head. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. You're stealing my moves, dude. And the whole scene is like we do a dance battle where I'm trying to dance the best I can. I've got Lisa, who's my sister, and we do this choreographed two-person thing. And then he comes out, spins on his hand, pops and locks, gets the whole crowd going nuts, live violin playing. And that's how the show opened. And I'll still have people come up to me and be like, that's the best sketch I've ever fucking like seen that year. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, damn, that was like six years ago. That makes me feel like I got a lot of work to do. To, like, <laughs> do something else now, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah. But I think that's the fuel too, is when somebody's like, yo, that thing you did long ago was the shit. And I'm like, well, I better come out with some hot shit this year. Otherwise, yeah. like I can't be living in the past like that. Maybe totally. you get something to hit yeah, though. I know Reggie Watts still has people coming up to him about fuck shit stack, which Dude. is, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The most fucking classic. Oh yeah, were you a part of that crew as well? Doing like that uh, like radio play I, I saw her that production of her and I knew Reggie but not as well as Mary Jane does I another person that I was just like a big fan of uh, Reggie is so another one who gets weird fucking all, consistently always weird never no, no, n- totally. never anything less than super fucking weird let's play the absurd yeah totally yeah. what about the with people, extreme talent mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean like I, I know we've gone over time but I, I want to just keep asking about just some New York theater stuff because to me it's such a mystery and i hope that when people listen to this that they are like kind of inspired to like make something for Mm -hmm. themselves um i saw a sketch group there called fucked f-u-c-t and it was the craziest sketch i've ever seen where it would almost be like jackass but not jackass where they would like kneel on rice and put their hands out with like bibles like balanced on them until their shoulders hit and then like a nun would hit them with a ruler and stuff like it was like really heavy physical painful stuff but also this wonderful satire and at a certain point it got way too much for some people and they just fucking left they were like nope i cannot do this and the weird thing for me was how many people after the show were celebrating the walkouts and they were like that's so great man they couldn't handle that shit and a part of me was like oh no i think that's like not okay like that's a bad 
thing. Like there should be a line, right? Or maybe there shouldn't be. And so I just like, I'm curious if you've ever pushed it to a point where then you were like, oh, we need to pull it back because I, I had to push it this far or you want everyone to stay or what a walkout. Like, you know what I mean? It's so interesting when you have the I love complete the freedom. You do. Love it. You do. Best thing ever. I bet people walked out of Blasted a lot. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. A lot of times I, we had people fainting and stuff. The people couldn't yeah. take some of the yeah. stuff. It was like, just too gory and too passing yeah. out, throwing up. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, I walk out of stuff, but not because of what you're talking about, not because of that, but that, that to me, you're crossing into performance art to me. And I think it's something that isn't as known out in California. Mm -hmm. I don't know the performance art world, but I admire it in a strange way. I feel similar to you. There is a line to me. I would never, I never want the audience to feel that my actors are in danger. Mm. I want them to always know this is, this is a play. It's just a ride. You know what I mean? There's nothing actually at stake here. I think that is essential at some level. Yeah. But I admire Jackass, you know, is just their thing is like they're pushing their bodies. That is fascinating to me. I watch UFC fighting. Yeah. I'm not a violent person, but that is amazing what those people are doing. Those men and women are just incredible. And so similarly, when people are willing to do that with their bodies to entertain people, I am I'm interested in some way. I don't know where my line is, but performance art is more that right. Like we're going to actually do the thing. We're not going to pretend like we smashed a goldfish. We're going to smash a fucking goldfish, you know, with a brick or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I'm I don't this is why I do theater i want to be in make believe more than the reality of those things on stage but i don't know i, I don't know if i agree with it. is there a line i i don't mind the walkouts and if that's what you're trying to yeah. do but i i would i would feel the more your way if the people didn't know what they were getting in for if you were going and expecting a normal play and then people are like making themselves puke on stage i heard about some piece was it the mad ones it was one of these companies is a little more avant-garde in new york and they did something where a person was all duct taped up and it was like they basically created a sweat funnel that came out and like was making a little shot of sweat that uh, somebody drank on oh stage. Oh my god, I just almost threw up in my mouth. No, no, exactly. It was like, and it was like that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I could uh. never do that myself, and I definitely don't know if I want to watch it. But I like that it exists. Yeah, I was. I, there was a show that I did with the Woodshed Collective called The Tenant that was an immersive piece. You came to The Tenant. Totally. And there was a moment, it was set in this huge church and you could roam all around this insane church and see all of these different storylines unfolding. There was like the main, it was based on a Polanski film. And you could follow The Tenant, who is our friend Michael Crane, amazing Mike Crane. Uh, Megan McQuillan, shout out Megan McQuillan's husband, Mike Crane, uh, currently in Our Flag Means Death on uh, HBO. Mike was fantastic in it. You could follow him or any number of stories. And my story was this other woman who lived in the building. And I just slowly went mad throughout the, the piece. And at the end, I was stripped down into a slip dancing with my husband's ashes covered in poop. And the, the poop moment was amazing because this woman would come by my apartment and shit on the floor in front of the door to my apartment. And then I would pick it up and smear it all over myself. It was crazy and one of my favorite things that I've ever done. And not as an real actor. poop, though. No, no, it was um, mashed potatoes with cocoa in it, but it looked like real poop. And the way she pulled it off made it really look like it was all happening. Oh, People were so freaked out by it. I fucking loved it. There was nothing like being that that transgressive. When else are you going to get to do that kind of thing? Yeah, that's so cool it was people hated it <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> i loved it, it was i like the tenant a lot i take that over like sleep no more people it's like very similar in that mm -hmm. world it's something you're able to walk around but i enjoyed that so much more me too because um, it was really so cool, weird yeah so right it's a great Super technical ones. and mike is wonderful and yeah, yeah it was great it was a great production final question before we get to buds of the week okay if say this play takes off and is massive would you want to then direct the film or tv version of any of the plays that you have done or would you like to 
be proud of what has been created and then move on to the next story you want to tell. My biggest goal would be get Lachey Delaney writing for television somehow. Fuck yeah. Like if that could happen, that would be, that's the biggest goal. And so sure, if part of that was a part of that plan, you know what I mean? If we were going to direct something that she could then present and stuff, yes, but it's more about that, you know? And so I would more want more money so I can do the next play. And I, it seems small or something, but it's not. I, I know that sounds crazy, but it is, yeah, I want to do good theater in LA. That's like, it's been my lifelong dream. And it's just so funny because then making commercials and like, you know, my team right now is in Paris and Lisbon, like shooting stuff. It's like you do all this stuff and you, yeah, making way more money than you could ever at theater. But it's like, no, but that is still the goal. Like that still is the thing. And so, yeah, that's what I would want to do. But I will, I will gladly take any work you're offering, Mike. Great. <laughs> great, 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 great. So yes, he will direct your HBO special. Totally. <laughs> well, it's YouTube now. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. Perfect. Well, let's get to Buds of the Week. Okay, uh, so Buds of the Week is when we shout out a Bud of the Week that we would hope everyone would check out on Instagram or go see their show or their album that just came out, something to celebrate that we're into this week. Great. So we'll go first, and if that gives you enough time Perfect. to think of one. Yep. Okay. okay. Um, you want to go first or second, Mike? Uh, up to you. Um, um, I've got mine right here, so I will go first. My vote of the week is Brian Box Brown at Box Brown on Instagram. Fantastic um, comic artist. He makes comics uh, in Philadelphia um, about weed, and he has a whole series called Legalization Nation. Go and birds! It's just the most in- Sorry, who big, what? Big Eagles fan. Go birds! Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Cole Pepper. <laughs> and um, yeah, he just makes this incredible strip called Legalization Nation that breaks down things that are going on in the legal cannabis industry in a really funny way through a comic strip. And he's just fantastic. And I've learned so much through following him. So follow at Box Brown. Um, check out his series, Legalization Nation. Sp- support an independent comic artist doing cool stuff. Awesome, but of the week. Yeah. My but of the week this week is the fake underscore Jared Hazen. Uh, Jared Hazen is H-A-Z-E-N. And... Going back to what we were talking about where Get Out of Your Town, we met in Alaska the first time I was there performing, and he came to the show. We hit it off. We had a great time. Recently, he moved to Tennessee because he was like, I got to get out of the scene here. I want to be a great comic. He went to see somebody headline, introduced himself. They gave him five minutes. He did so well that they were like, open for me next tomorrow. So like, you know, you got to take these leaps. You got to take these chances, and you got to move out of your town to see what's good. (laughs) So congrats to Jared, and he just posted a bunch of shows um, on his Instagram, and and he's hopefully going to have even more to come. So follow the fake underscore Jared Hazen on IG. Great butt of the week. Awesome. My butt of the week is Alfred Shivey Brooks. Uh, he is a high school teacher in Atlanta, I believe. He sells these t-shirts through Alfred's Laundry. If you go to Alfred's Laundry, this is a, I'm the teacher Fox News warns you about. He has a bunch of awesome <laughs> other t-shirts, things like uh, this teacher's returning to the classroom. Um, let me find some that are really amazing. One second. Uh... America will force a child to be born, but will not protect them in schools. You know, things like this. Yes. Good, good shirts. <laughs> Provocative. <laughs> yes. Important. Wonderful t-shirts. Sells these t-shirts. And I think all the money goes to great things with kids. So I highly recommend. Hell yes. Awesome. Yo, thank you for making this happen, Mary Jane. Uh, uh, what? I don't know. You were like, yo, uh, let's get Mark on. And I was like, I trust you. And I'm so glad to meet you. <laughs> this wonderful. has been amazing. Yeah, this is the perfect combination of like weed head talk about cool art and all the things we love. And I'm just so glad to see you. It was great. Um, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Everybody go check out Monique Clark. It's going to be at the Broadwater Theater in yep. September. Yep. It's going to be September 15th. We'll be opening. You can follow us at Barker Room Rep. So it's B-A-R-K-E-R Room Rep. Yeah. So we can follow nice. that on Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. Anywhere you can find us. Fantastic. Ooh, uh, I'll be back in town by then. Yes. See you there. Sweet. We'll go together. Um, I uh, had the best time. Follow us on Instagram at weedandgrub.com. No, wait. I'm stoned. Hang on. 
those sumo snacks really work. I am high also. <laughs> Shout out sumo salsa verde. I got a little twinkle in my eye and a chip in my tooth. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us at Weed and Grub on Instagram. Email us at wg at with questions, comments, things you want to hear us cover. Um, Leave a review. Give us five stars. Send me a whisk pick. You yeah. Know. Oh, there was another pick. Oh, we'll do it in another episode. You thought of a new type of pick that you want people to DM. Just you. send me pictures. I'm lonely, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>